You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hi there. Welcome to the Wednesday Special Eating Disorders Awareness Week um, edition of podcast that I'm doing all on issues that are specific to adults in eating disorder recovery. And today I am talking about how to deal with entrenched behaviors after 10, 15, 20, 30, sometimes 40 plus years of having an eating disorder. And this is definitely very specific to adults in eating disorder recovery. We know um, that for anybody who has an eating disorder onset, the quicker that that can be picked up and therefore the quicker that it can be treated, the better. Really good outcome results if early intervention is possible. And so there's great programs that are going on for schools, doctors, clinics on how to spot eating disorders early in adolescence and, and young people. And also to some degree in, in people of um, older ages, how to spot them early. And that's really fabulous and very needed. But sometimes the early intervention thing for an adult like, like myself who had been sick for 10 years or some people I know who've been sick for 20, 30, 40 years, that can be quite depressing when you hear about the early intervention things because it just, it made me think, well, what's the point really? Is, can I actually recover from this after 10 years of, of doing this? So these entrenched behaviors, these, you know, um, I, I, exercise was a huge problem for me and um, I did around six hours, a pretty intense exercise every day and I did that for six years without a day off. And so after that long, I really didn't think it would be even possible for me to stop. Um, and that's just, the exercise is one thing, but there are lots of entrenched behaviors and OCD-like behaviors that emerge and develop uh, when one has an eating disorder. And so that's what we're talking about today. And hopefully to bring some hope here to people who have had an eating disorder for a very long time, the understanding that yes, early intervention is, is wonderful, but it's not the be all and end all. You can recover at any time and you can tackle these behaviors at any time. So anyway, I will be reading out um, comments that have been sent to me and statements um, about this. And if you would like to send me a comment or a statement to be read out about tomorrow's topic ahead of time, tomorrow I'm going to be talking about loneliness um, in eating disorder recovery and in having an eating disorder. If you have any thoughts on that, then please get a hold of me and email me at info at Okay, here goes. I'm going to read out this first um, comment that I have here from somebody. I have been a cyclist now for eight years and everything of my identity is, is wrapped up in this. My friend's a cyclist, my husband's a cyclist, my social media profile is a cyclist, and I even write a blog on road biking. But the trouble is I don't think I'm a cyclist. It was an eating disorder provoked hobby. I started restricting food a good two years before I bought my first road bike, and I was not an avid exerciser before that. One day I just went for a bike ride and then my eating disorder told me that I was allowed to eat more because I'd been on a bike ride. So I thought it was a good idea. It felt like bike riding was good and that I could eat more after I'd been. But that was a trick and it only lasted a while before it turned into a 
you can eat more only if you go for a bike ride situation. And now I'm in recovery and faced with the truth that I don't even like riding my bike. I hate it. I've never admitted that to anybody before. I just have to do it. I have no choice and I hate it even more for that. And the eating disorder tells me that if I stop riding, I will lose my entire identity and be nothing. So I'm getting onto that bike every day and I don't want to. I really don't want to do this anymore. Okay, so that could have been written by me about running, really. Um, Same sort of thing. I started running because I did it one day and it it sort of made me think I could eat more. And then that seemed like, oh, this is a good idea because I went for a run and then I was allowed to eat more. And it was really quick how that just turned into a condition. You have to go for a run in order to be able to eat at all. And that condition then turned into further conditions that the 20 minute run wasn't enough. 30 minute, 40 minute, 50 minute, one hour, two hour, you carry on. Um, And then running wasn't enough. I had to then also stand all day and all these little add-ons, the conditions that add-ons. And that already started with that quite simple. And I have to admit at that time, quite innocent. I went for a run one day thinking, that it was helpful Um, and it turned into actually an exercise compulsion that was the hardest part actually for me in recovery with the hardest thing to deal with Um, it even made the terror of of eating some of my scariest foods seem easy (laughs) compared to not going running Um, and it looks like this person here is the same sort of thing that and the first thing she wrote was I don't you know I don't think I'm a cyclist but everything in my identity is a cyclist and this this is what I'm talking about with the entrenched behaviors and the eating disorder identity for if you've been an adult with an eating disorder for a long time it gets so wrapped up in everything it's it's hard to actually untangle I found it hard to untangle what was me and what was eating disorder me and in a way I just had to stop everything to find that out because I didn't know I didn't know what my intentions were I've been doing this for so long all these behaviors I actually didn't know if someone asked me like do you like running or do you hate running or do you like doing this I I just didn't know I had to stop everything to find out and that was terrifying but it's absolutely possible and this person that wrote in there about the the biking I hope you can stop I know that you can stop And you're right, you may not have the identity of a biker anymore, but you will have something else, I promise you. Your real identity will come through. But you have to stop the biking first and and give it an opportunity to come through, give it some space to find out actually what that real identity is. Okay, here's another one. Um, I have a really entrenched habit of picking my food into bits and so this scenario might be that I would buy a sandwich and open it up and then eat um, components of the sandwich um, in different bits. Um, I find this was an extremely shameful way of eating and it was actually the shame that helped me um, overcome eating like that knowing it's not normal and asking people to notice when I did it and point it out to me and also having my recovery coach call it out to me so that's a that's a really great example of a person with an eating disorder recognizing a behavior uncomfortable as that is and saying hmm this is weird 
I don't want to do this anymore. And then reaching out to people and saying, um, hey, so I've got this weird thing that I do. Well, if you see me do it, can you just tell me not to? And God, I've done that with plenty of things, let me tell you. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, this, is another, um, this is another person writing in. Because I have such a long history of an eating disorder, my behaviours are numerous and very deeply entrenched. They include things like having to eat and even having to drink at strict times using specific cutlery and clockery. I even have a different mug for coffee depending on the time of the day. Everything, just about everything, has to be done in a specific order and everything belongs in its own place. I could go on and on. I expect there are many that I'm not even aware of. I do know that I freak out if anything gets in the way of the behaviours and routines. If I'm late for a meal, that meal or drink is missed and it's too late. I'm a lot better than I was and learning to be more flexible. I now challenge myself if I'm aware of a behaviour and I test it out. For example, having my meal five minutes earlier and not compensating. I guess if I live my life according to rules I've set for myself no, for no logical reason, but again, it's a way of feeling both safe and in control. Intellectually, I know that I'm doing um, and the impact it has on my life, but I seem unable to let go of them. Being aware of this adds to a feeling of failure. When I was put in a situation where I was unable to carry out my regular routine, such as being in inpatient treatment, I adopted a different set of rules. It's hard to handle when I'm not knowing what I'm doing and know it has no rational basis. I consider that I have different identities depending on the situation, although my physical appearance remains the same. I have been at very low BMI for decades, decades and no one has seen me at a healthy weight, so I'm very anxious about gaining weight and coping with the comments that are meant in kindness but which I interpret different, differently. So that's really interesting and that's another one that I hear a ton, um, even from people that are in really uh, active recovery, trying to get better and very invested in their own recovery, very determined to recover. Still this fear around um, people commenting and noticing when weight has been gained, even when the person in question really wants to gain weight and they're trying very hard to do that. Um, I think it does come down to this this sort of change in identity part that for those of us that have been at a very low weight for a very long time it it just feels it feels like it's even though we know that the change in weight is healthy and good and um, is what we actually want to happen it just feels weird and odd and not like not like for me it just felt like it was not like me and that's because I've been used to me being very underweight for 10 years. And so being a normal weight just felt different. And it was different because it was a change. And um, other people commenting on that, even in kindness, just I, I, I think it just reminded me of, of that and that it all felt wrong. And I was able, um, though, to write that off and just know that this is this is a good comment, this is a kind comment, and um, switch that around in my brain. And I think that's really important. Okay, here's another one. The hardest issue related to my identity is to do with my siblings. They have seen me through the years of illness, and I'm aware treat me differently to the way that they treat one another and their friends. I do not have much hope that following weight restoration and being free or even partially free of my eating disorder, they will treat me any differently. I must say that they are supportive and try not to be judgmental, but it's been going on so long. I understand that we have difficulty adjusting to a different me. Okay, yeah, I understand this completely. Um, once family members have like that same thing, once they've been used to a person being a certain way for a prolonged period of time, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, 
they will accommodate by changing their own behavior towards you. And it takes time, um, I found, it takes time for people to change with you. Um, you know, it, it takes time after you have been a certain way around food and looked a certain way and had sorts of overly sensitive reactions. I had a lot of overly sensitive reactions to things, such as um, having a very negative reaction if somebody offered me food, usually my mother. I would, you know, and even years after recovery, I think it took her a long time to be able to offer me food without following it up immediately, but, oh, but I know that you won't want to eat that. I mean, she was, she, she would have been right, you know, for 10 years, anything she offered me, I said no to. And so I can totally understand that. It was still very difficult for me, though, when I was in a place where finally I was just trying to challenge myself to eat everything, to um, being sort of being told, but I know you won't eat that anyway, or something like that, which is a completely reasonable and logical reaction to... um, Anybody that knew me, because I would always had historically said no to food or not just said no, actually been quite angry about being offered it. Um, It takes a while for people to get around, but I can tell you, it it doesn't take forever. Um, I think just give people a chance. Give them a chance to get to know you properly without the eating disorder. Give people a chance to... um, reassess the situation it might might take a a year it might take longer it might take a lot less I've known some friends that seem to reassess and just get used to the new me who was much more relaxed around food and pretty much quite a lot more chilled out person um really quickly and other people it took longer but um just just give people a chance I think um is, is is what I would say to that give people a chance to get to know the you without your eating disorder. Okay, here's another one. The struggles took my identity away. I lost so much time I can never get it back. Such precious time when my children were young, friends, family. I lost dreams of what I wanted to do. I lost my career. I'm looking forward to finding me again. I'm just not sure who that is yet. I have dreams of what I want to do and I don't want them to be dreams. They will happen. I think that's that's lovely. And I think they will happen. Um, there's a lot of hope in there. Um, Here's another one. I can definitely relate to the identity crisis issue with eating disorder. For three years prior to being diagnosed with anorexia nervosa, I gained an identity as this weight loss success story and fitness enthusiast. I became a leader for a weight loss company and made the cover of a weight loss magazine. I also studied fitness and became a personal trainer. I love this life. It's only about two to three years into recovery after dropping exercise and eating more and gaining weight and leaving my personal training job, etc., that I started to have this identity crisis. I am no longer a fitness enthusiast or a weight loss inspiration. I have totally lost who I am. A huge concern for me is that people will see me as some sort of fraud or a joke because I've gained back weight and I'm no longer into exercise right now. I feel lost, confused, like I have no direction. I don't know where I'm going or how my life will look. That could be me. Um, Anybody that knows my story knows that I also went into being a personal trainer and a fitness instructor and a dance fitness instructor and a cycling fitness instructor and also a weight loss um, nutritionist. Isn't that great? 
And it turns out that all of those things, absolutely all of them, were um, eating disorder motivated. It also turns out that without an eating disorder to motivate me doing all of those things, I have absolutely no interest in them. I have no interest in teaching people exercise to music. In fact, I think it's kind of dumb. <laughs> and it, it was, it was just all completely exercise obsession related. I don't do anything like that now. And I can't, I, all I can say is my life is richer for not doing those things. Um, but that was really hard. I too had to quit my job. I had to, you know, my whole identity was as a personal trainer. And thank goodness that was before Facebook was big. I mean, thank goodness I didn't have this big Facebook presence of a personal trainer and weight loss person because that would have been even harder and I do think that social media makes it a lot harder to <laughs> when you when you do have a bit of an identity crisis actually change um I I was really lucky that there was not too much of that about but I still had to quit my job and completely um make over my entire life and there was a huge patch of time after quitting my job and after starting to gain weight and after stopping teaching exercise classes and those things that I didn't know what the hell I was. <laughs> I did not know. I was, what, what am I going to do to fill this space? And for me, actually, what I did was I started writing. I have always loved to write. I just didn't really know what else to do to fill the time. And that turned out to be a good thing for me. But my, my um, what I would say there is that if you leave the space in your life, your life will fill the space. You just have to make the space in order for whatever it is that's going to come into your life and whoever you are going to turn out to be to emerge and develop um, and that can be a really wonderful thing okay um here's the next one pre-eating disorder i was a happy relaxed food loving exercise hating woman who enjoyed being a girlfriend and then a wife a daughter a granddaughter a good friend a sister I had a career as a nurse and I had plans to travel and have children and live. Eating disorder then came along. What started with a small amount of exercise in the gym, before I had known it or anyone in a man we knew it, had spiralled into a severe case of anorexia. Over the past 10 years, this illness has entirely changed my self-identity. It has robbed me of my marriage, my ability to have a family. It has caused me to isolate myself and to push away family and friends. Suddenly, instead of loving food and being entirely relaxed around it, I was terrified of it, and I went from someone who loved nothing more than curling on the, up on the sofa with a good book or to watch a film, to someone who developed exercise compulsions and found sitting down for any length of time incredibly anxiety-provoking. About the only thing of my illness pre-eating disorder identity that the illness did not steal from me was my career. Even in the deepest parts of the illness, I had managed um, outside of treatment to continue to have the concentration, mental and physical ability to work and kept me living a half-life um, for the past decade. I can continue a very successful nursing career, working long hours to fill my otherwise empty existence. It was at the, only at the end of last year that I came to fully understand that to put the energy and work into recovery that I was going to need to stop working as it was impacting my ability to get better. So at the end of last year, I gave up full-time work and now have given up all work entirely in the nursing field. Suddenly, I feel like the shell of the person that I was firstly without the illness and then with the illness. I have stripped myself completely bare now and it feels like in order to recover, I have to do this. 
I have little sense of identity other than inverted commas recovering anorexic and this is a difficult thing to accept. It leaves me grieving for my past life. As I get stronger in recovery, I will need to find out who I am again inside this il- outside this illness and rebuild an identity that is not that of an eating disorder. It is a frightening concept, however, in many ways. There are days when having that loss of identity entirely is terrifying. However, in more optimistic moments, I can find and feel some excitement for the future for a life free of my eating disorder, which I can rebuild to be what I want. I think what um, that person describes there wonderfully is the um, what it takes to recover from an eating disorder. And for most of us, that does actually mean that having to give up a lot of, of things to make space for recovery to happen, um, to stop doing things that we know are not helping us to recover. And most of the time, I felt that those were actual things that could distract me from recovery. Um, the eating disorder really thrives on stagnance and, you know, that sort of feeling of, oh, I'll work on this more tomorrow, or I'll do less exercise tomorrow, or I'll eat more tomorrow. And it loves to be then distracted by things like work um, or doing something busy so that eating and the space for eating more isn't really there and the space for doing less isn't really there. And so I just know that before I knew it, another year had passed, another year where I had not changed anything, I had not gained any weight, I had not made made any gains whatsoever on my eating disorder, despite the intention was always to actually recover. And it, I had to actually recover. I had to pull out all the stops, and that meant putting on a lot of stops on things like social life and work, and really focusing on recovery like a full-time 24-7 job and so that every meal counted every meal right now was I have to eat more right now and all the times in between meals and snacks it was I have to not be doing exercise right now I have to be sitting down right now it it doesn't count to do it tomorrow or to say I'm, I'll just do this little bit of exercise it doesn't count I have to do this to recover and um, I think that she describes there the um, the loss of identity and also what creating that space, first of all, feels like, which is quite scary. It's so much space when, when you don't do all of the things the eating disorder wants you to do. But it's space that has to be created for recovery. And I know that um, this series of podcasts, it's not exactly sweetness and light all the time. Um, there's a lot of really raw, uh, rough stuff in here, but it's real stuff. These are uh, things that people in recovery, the thoughts and how they go, what they're going through. And it's really important to listen because eating disorder recovery is not butterflies. It's hard work, incredibly hard work. And the people that I know that are in the trenches right now, like these people here, they are some of the strongest people I've ever met in my life. And I think that this is a really important topic, overcoming entrenched behaviours and also losing that eating disorder identity, because I think it's one of the things that actually sort of stagnates recovery a lot, that that fear. And it's not really a fear of, oh, I don't want to be thin anymore. At least it might present like that, but it's not as much that as change and huge change that your brain sort of can't even comprehend what it would be like to be something different than what one is right now. And for me, that felt like I knew who I was with an eating disorder. And 
that wasn't to say that I didn't want to be somebody without an eating disorder, but I think that there's this um, natural tendency um, in the brain to hold a place of homeostasis and keep everything as it is. And once the brain has recognized an underweight body and an underweight way of life and an eating disorder way of life as homeostasis or normal, as wrong as that is and as unhealthy as that is, it's very difficult to then just say, hey, life's going to change. You're going to be somebody completely different. We're going to rip all of this out and something new will come along. Don't know what, but it'll be different from this. You just can't do any of the things that you do right now and you can't be who you are right now. And you'll be in a completely different body as well, by the way. And I know that rationally, when I was in recovery, I wanted that different body. I wanted to gain weight and I wanted to stop all of the things that I was doing. But there was an incongruence there. There was something that was stopping me from doing that. And I think it was actually a more innate type of fear that somewhere deep in the brain that change is not good. We've got to keep the status quo. And so it's a real uphill slog to make that change. And huge changes have to be made to sort of get the ball rolling. But once the ball's rolling, it really does become easier. And once the behaviors stop and once um, weight restoration starts to happen, anxiety increases, but it gets worse and then it gets better. And that's the part to hang on to. It gets better and phenomenally better, better than my wildest dreams. I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. My life without my eating disorder is better than my wildest dreams. I wish I'd known that when I was in recovery. I didn't, but that's the kind of thing that I want you to know. Anybody that's in the trenches right now, keep going. It gets better and you can do this. I'm going to finish today's um, little podcast here with something um, somebody wrote um, who is very special to me. Um, and I just think it's, it's excellent. It's kind of relevant. We were talking about um, finding and eliminating restriction. And um, it's kind of crucial in eating disorder recovery from a restrictive eating disorder. And it starts off pretty obvious. One is not eating. That's, that's pretty blatant restriction. But then um, as one moves through recovery, you still got to find and eliminate the restriction, but it's not quite as obvious. And most of the time it, it lies in these entrenched behaviors and eating times and eating rituals and eating food order and only eating food that starts with the letter B or whatever it is. But um, so she's, she's been working on finding and eliminating restriction. And this is what she wrote. I'm really in the thick of finding, naming, noting and hating restriction. Where's the rest of my life? How did this happen? It's like I stepped in dog poo and never cleaned off my shoes. <laughs> Restrict shit everywhere. <laughs> Restrict shit. I love it. And I think it really defines the restriction in an eating disorder. Restrict shit everywhere. It gets into everything. Restrict shit everywhere. It gets into everything. It's not just lim limited to food and exercise behaviors. Restrict shit gets into everything. And part of recovery is getting that shit off your shoes. If you want to get in touch with me and send me your thoughts on tomorrow's subject, which actually makes me wince just to even say it because it's so close to the bone for me. Tomorrow's subject is eating disorders and loneliness. If you have any thoughts, 
things that you want me to read out, things to say on eating disorders and loneliness, send them to me. It's info, I-N-F-O, at Tabitha Farrar, that's T-A-B-I-T-H-A-F-A-R-R-A-R.com. Cheers, and until tomorrow, cheerio.